When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Episode 1, we gave you the background facts about the speed freak killers, Wesley Shermantine and Lauren Herzog, and what it was like to grow up in the area of Linden, California in the 1980s. In episodes 2 and 3, we talked to you about the speed freak killers' last known victims and interviewed family members to help you get to know their relatives and understand the events leading up to them going missing. Our last known victim was Chevy Wheeler, who went missing on the 16th of October 1985. When Chevy went missing, Shermantine was the main suspect. However, despite finding a small amount of blood and hair that were similar to Chevy's in his family cabin, they were unable to follow this up and arrest him. At the time, there was no DNA testing and therefore no conclusive evidence. In episode three, we also included statements from assault victims of the pair, with details of Shermantine being arrested for the rape of Lisa Bassano and then being acquitted in early 1998. In this episode, we will be talking about Cindy van der Heiden. Cindy was the last known victim of the Speed Freak Killers, as they were both arrested shortly after her disappearance. Cindy van der Heiden was born on November 4th, 1973. She grew up with an older sister, Kim, and her parents, John and Terry, in the small town of Clements. Nicknamed Tigger by her friends and family, Cindy was energetic and full of life. She was an animal lover and adored her fluffy white cat that she fondly named Topaz. After going through an unsettled time in her life, Cindy had recently purchased a new car and was living at home to help her save money to be able to afford the repayments. Cindy's sister, Cam, and her father tell us what Cindy was like. Comical, fun. She followed me everywhere I went. It was hilarious. She was a young, ambitious girl, always bubbly, always fun, always having a good time, always laughing. We were very close, and we had a lot of the same friends in high school and middle school. We knew everybody. 
But we were pretty darn close. And she did anything that I did. And she copied everything that I did. Cindy's father was a respected businessman who ran a number of bars in the local area while she was growing up. And her sister, Kim, used to bartend in them sometimes. For her 25th birthday in November 1998, her family threw her a surprise birthday party at the Linden Inn, one of the bars that was owned by her father. It was a fun family gathering and they spent the evening singing along to their favorite songs on the karaoke. I can't even read those words. <laughs> a few days later, on November 14th, 1998, Cindy Vander met her mother for lunch and then did a little shopping. She wanted her parents to join her for karaoke again that evening as she enjoyed herself so much the previous week. Baby, I'm just too tired. But they said they were too tired. No problem, said Cindy and she found a friend to go with her instead. Cindy and her friend Kurt started the evening at another bar that her father owned in Clemens. They moved to the London Inn in London, leaving Cindy's car at the first venue. While at the London Inn, Cindy ran into Herzog and Shermantine. Herzog was a regular at the bar. He helped out with odd jobs every now and then, like changing a barrel, and he actually had dated her sister, Kim, for a couple months. She didn't know much about Sherman Tyne, though his reputation preceded him. Everyone in the area knew Sherman Tyne by reputation, especially after the recent rape claims against him. However, she wasn't worried about him, as he was best friends with Herzog, who had always been protective of her and her sister, Kim. Around 2 a.m., Cindy and Kurt left the London Inn and headed back to Clemens to pick up Cindy's car. Her friend followed her home, and as Cindy turned into her driveway, Kurt drove away. Cindy's mother, Terry, checked in on her daughter in the morning and was pleasantly surprised to find her bed neatly made. Assuming she had already left for work, she carried on with her morning. Her father, John, had also missed her that morning, so later in the day he called her at work just to make sure she was okay. He was surprised to hear that she had not turned up that day and began driving around the area looking for her. Clements was a very small town with around 250 people, just 12 miles from London. After a frantic search, John came across Cindy's car in the car park of Glenview Cemetery. Her purse and cell phone were in the vehicle, but there was no sign of Cindy. The car hadn't gone far. The cemetery was just a couple miles away from the Vanderheidens' home. John knew at that moment that something was very wrong and immediately called the police. Law enforcement were still investigating Chevy Wheeler's disappearance from 14 years before, where Sherman Time was one of the last people to see her alive. And now he was one of the last to see Cindy too. John tells us about the events leading up to Cindy's disappearance. I had quite a bit of work to do. I also owned a bar and I had construction company coming up. And my wife worked over at the Old Corner Saloon, which is a bar here in Clements. We stopped over there to have cocktail and rest. And then Cindy wanted to 
go do karaoke, which we did quite often. Her and I and Kim, we always used to go over there and sing and try to sing. But anyway, she wanted to go over there and do it. And I, I was too tired and I didn't want to go that way. Neither did Terry, my wife. So a friend of ours took her over there to do karaoke. And that's uh, the last time I seen her. At the time of her disappearance, Cindy was five foot six inches tall with dark brown hair and green eyes, weighing about 135 pounds. She was wearing a Tigger watch. The day after Cindy went missing, more than 50 people turned up to help the family search for her. The searches took place for weeks, with numbers exceeding a thousand people on some days. They searched rivers, hillsides, ravines and orchards, leaving no stone unturned. Cindy's sister Kim came back to her parents' home from Wyoming to help with the searches and to man the search centre, which was relocated next to the Vanderheiden's property. Her family were determined to find her, and due to their persistence, the story reached the national news. Kim tells us about getting the call from her parents to say that her sister was missing and then coming back to help with the searches. I lived in Wyoming at the time, so we just basically talked on the phone a lot. I had talked to her 10 days prior to her disappearing to wish her a happy birthday. Past that, basically it was just a lot of phone calls. I'd come out to visit every once in a while, and past that's just how it went. Once that they told me that she had been at the Linden Inn, I was adamant that Lauren and Wes were the ones that were involved in this after dealing with both of them in the past, having them in the bar, having them hang out at the house, knowing their background. At first, I didn't want to think that it could be possible, but once they told me the two people that she had been seen at the bar with, I knew that it was them that were involved right away. In our ongoing journey, dissecting real life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. John tells us about the extensive searches that the family carried out, about him realising Sherman Tyne and Herzog were the likely culprits, and about them getting arrested. We had hundreds of people around the community, and we had all kinds of searches. We set up a command centre for the search centre over in the Odd Fellows Hall here in Clements. And we worked out of there 24 hours a day, manned the phones, and we had flyers, everything. We investigated every tip or everything that was said to us that we did. We went out to caves, and we even had one that said that she had been drugged and took down to Mexico, down by Guadalajara. So I had a Mexican friend, and he went down all the way out there and went to do see what they said and everything. And sure enough, there was a blonde woman there, a young woman, and she was drugged up, but it wasn't Cindy. So anyway, that ended that. I had, had talked to Kurt, the guy that took her over there, and said he had been talking to her. And so I wanted to know what, what they had done, if they had seen her. And, uh, of course, they wouldn't talk to me. And so I went over to their house. And, of course, they still wouldn't come out of their house. And so I left. And that, I told that to the sheriffs, and they went out and interviewed him. I don't know. But as the time went on, I realized that they were the last ones to see her and I wanted to know. And so I went over to their house several times and they would never come out. And then I finally got to the point that I was going to go over there and take them out one at a time. And they were either going to tell me or they were to get buried. And when I got there, I guess I told too many people because when I got to Herzog's house first, the sheriffs are already there arresting him and taking him to jail, which I knew that was it. And then I saw, so I went over to get Sherman time the next day, the next afternoon. And lo and behold, they were arresting him. And I followed him all the way to the sheriff's office. I didn't, I made sure that's where they were going. Cindy was the final known victim of the speed freak killers. Her remains were found almost 13 years after her disappearance after Shermantine marked her location on one of his maps. In the next episode, we will be delving into the pair getting arrested and the interviews before starting on the trials. We had one final question for John. John, when we came out to visit you at your house, we noticed that the outside light was on. You said that you left it on for Cindy. Can you tell us more about that? When she left, we always left the light on. And when she went missing, the light stayed on. The light had been on for 12, 14-some years, and it's still on. 
And I guess that's just in case anybody else is lost, they can find their way home. Find their way. As we have mentioned previously, there are a large number of missing people that are believed to be victims of the Speed Freak Killers. These are cases that we need help with. So if you have any tips that might help to solve them, please do get in touch via our website. The first case we would like to introduce to you is that of Philip Lloyd Martin. Philip Martin went missing on September 30th, 1993. He was 47 at the time of his disappearance. He had brown hair and brown eyes, was 5 foot 11 inches tall, and weighed about 165 pounds. Philip was a construction laborer and carpenter at the time of his disappearance. He was living in his car. We will post photographs of Philip and his car on our Facebook page. On September 30th, 1993, Philip failed to collect his daughters from school and has never been seen again. His gold 1987 Chevrolet Celebrity was found burnt out up a dirt track by a river a few days after he was last seen. The area was a well-known spot to dump vehicles at this time. We spoke to Philip's daughter, Marie, about her father. As a kid, though, my dad, he lived in Lodi, Stockton, Lockford, traveled a little bit farther north. My sisters and I were growing up in Podesta, three of us at the time. All the time, we were always out here going to the river, (laughs) camping, running amok, (laughs) dragging my dad out of the bar in Lockford. That kind of stuff. That's just how we grew up. And then he met Marilyn, my stepmom. She was my stepmom. She's passed. And they had two more girls. So that's where the five of us come in. There was three of us and then two little ones. But my dad was always a part of our lives. All of our lives. He was just there. Always. Even if we didn't want him there, he was there. (laughs) So, yeah, we'd go and visit his family. He's originally from Southern California, from Banning. He grew up in Banning. Before I was born, he lived in Manhattan Beach. He's always been a carpenter, a framer. So what he did, framing, swinging a hammer. I used to go to work with him when he lived up here in the Lockford Lodi area. I'd spend every weekend and summers, anytime we weren't in school. And I'd schlep with him on the job site and hear that three hits and the nail was driven in. <laughs> and the skill saw, the smell of wood. Every time I sharpen a pencil, I... It, I it just takes me back. It reminds me of him. When I moved to Stockton, I met my future husband, now my ex-husband, but we, he lived in this area and worked in this area. And so I moved up here and then we got married and we had a baby. My dad had his first boy in his family, had five daughters, a granddaughter, and my older sister and I were pregnant at the same time. And I gave birth first, I beat her to the punch, had a boy. And my sister swears daddy was floating three feet off the floor in the hospital. And he, he was at the hospital with me every day after my son was born. The day I came home from the hospital with my son, my dad was there on the porch waiting for us. And every day he was just there, there. When Timothy, my, my son, was old enough, my dad went to, found it at a yard sale, a bicycle with a baby seat on the back. He'd ride over to the house and pick up the baby and they'd go to the park and do whatever they did. He was just there. 
in my life. He cut back on his drinking. He was a, been an alcoholic all of his life. I knew he smoked a little weed, but I never paid much attention to it because that wasn't like a thing for him. Like a lot of people just smoking all day, every day. And I, I would see him do that periodically, but that's not to say he wasn't doing it when I wasn't looking. I just never saw that or noticed that about him. He did like to drink his beer though. Boy, did he like to drink his beer. Marie tells us more about the car being found. In the narrative, she mentions Stevens Motel. Wendy and I visited this motel on our trip to California. It's a very basic, low-cost motel, taking cash only, with a lot of long-term residents. In the 1990s, it was used a lot by construction workers, and it's believed that Herzog and Shermantine had spent time there, as well as Philip Barton. In fact, in one of the assault statements against Shermantine, the lady mentions that she was taken to Stevens Motel. One of Marie's sisters, who visited the motel with her father, was able to pick Shermantine and Herzog from a photo lineup as men who she had seen while she was there. Wherever he met, whoever did whatever they did to him, wherever he ran into Shermantine and Herzog and they drug him off to wherever they drug him off to and his car was left and whether they had somebody go and say hey we need you to get rid of this car for us or somebody just saw a car that's sitting there for a day or two and thinking oh we'll take it for a joyride marie's family needs answers they need to know what happened to philip if you know anything however small and insignificant you think it may be please get in touch Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.